1: They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today.
2: Welcome to DSC's Campfires with Larry Wysun, the unique blend of hunting, conservation, and the outdoor lifestyle, delivered in an entertaining, informative fashion that only a veteran outdoorsman can do. DSC Campfires is brought to you by... DSC, conservation, education, and hunter advocacy. Hornady, accurate, deadly, dependable. Trigicon, brilliant aiming solutions. Ruger, rugged, reliable firearms. Burnham Brothers Game Calls, calling his calls made. Double Nickel Taxidermy, where hunting memories are preserved. Taurus, maker of the Raging Hunter and other fine handguns. Now here's your host, Larry Wysun. Well,
0: David Fox, wish you were here. Thank you for the great introduction, and welcome to another episode of DSC's Campfires with with Larry Wysun. That just happens to be me, and this morning I happen to be sitting around a campfire that's been extinguished overnight, should have probably turned this thing on last night when we had the fire going, but uh, we've got Luke Clayton and Jeff Rice and... Of course, Luke and I, you know who Luke is, and you know who Jeff is, because we've done a bunch of things together, and we're out here at Jeff's place one more time for the buck and bass. It is, uh, was this is recorded, kind of the first part of July, and it's a pleasant morning, gentlemen,
3: but it was an exciting morning, wasn't it? Oh, boy. (laughs) You can say that again. We set a trot line last night, expecting to catch a bunch of catfish, and we also set a hog trap hoping to catch a little uh, pork on the hoof and uh, well we did both actually, uh, wow what a fantastic morning. We were sitting here at camp and I, I kept hearing squealing and I-, <laughs> I kept telling the guys I'm like y'all hear that? There's something squealing, there's something sque- there's and-, and
0: Luke squealing. and I are both basically deaf to high pitch sounds. So yeah, I mean, I heard, time, finally
4: I did hear one squeal. I- I did too, but the first time I lied, I didn't hear it. You Just didn't like, hear it. I, well, I, I you, knew have, you heard it, so. You knew it was good enough, you know. <laughs> I, I
3: kept hearing it, and I don't hear well either, I'll be honest with you, but I kept hearing squealing. I'm like, I'm wondering if there's a hog in that trap. And then we sat there for a bit drinking our coffee, and, man, I heard it again. And I kept telling the guys, I'll bet you. I got this gut feeling but I'll bet you there's a hog in that trap and well Luke you take it from there.
4: <laughs> yeah it was a special morning to me with that trap it's a it's a little uh aluminum hog trap made uh from stock aluminum you know a, a company out of Texas I've had that thing 12 years and I probably trap you know one or two hogs at a time I probably trapped 30 or 40 hogs just for meat and uh so, we, I moved it down here to Jeff's, what, a year, over a year ago. We yeah. set it back, you know, about a year. But we're really having food with it. We got the bright idea last night, sitting around the camp, you know, sitting around the camp for yesterday evening to bait it up. And I thought, well, okay, there's so many hogs here that uh, if you just baited the trap, might not do any good. But we put a trail of corn from a trail, a hog trail, to the trap. Well, lo and behold, you know, I was hoping, well, maybe we'll get one and we'll butcher one and have some fresh pork liver to use for trotline bait and have some ham and all that. (laughs) That's what I was hoping, you know. You heard these guys, folks, talking about the squeal back at camp, and I thought, that's weird. Uh, It's not weird to hear one squeal, but to keep hearing squeals. And then I remember Jeff you said, Yeah, you know, I bet we've got a hog in the trap. And that didn't even ring true to me. <laughs> One hog is not gonna be squealing in that trap. But then I said, He's gotta be trapped because it kept coming from the same direction. It, it did. Yeah, it, it, did. it wasn't
0: farther away, it wasn't any closer, yeah, it was just right, right there.
4: there. And so, you know, we couldn't we couldn't stand it very much longer. We we drove down there in the, the buggy. And sure enough there was there was four I'm gonna say the heaviest one would have been what, Larry? Thirty-five pounds? 30, 40, yeah, 30,
0: yeah, maybe that biggest one could have gone 40, forty, but probably a little bit less than that. And
4: the the things that <laughs> that aluminum is strong, but they had wedged their heads, two, three of them, into through two of those vertical uh, bars on that thing, and and their jaws when they tried to pull their head back, the jaws served as a wedge, <laughs> and there we had four hogs in the trap and i'll put a disclaimer right now those hogs are running wild now we we were we had we were thinking well we'll butcher one well we had to rescue had to get those three out of there and uh we were, we were kind of tired after all that but the bottom line is we'll wind up eating those hogs oh yeah they're not going far from
3: these feeders right here on jeff's when they place. go from 40 to, to 60 to 80 to 100 pounds then we'll be on them <laughs>
0: <laughs> There's that one little, well, I think, were, I didn't even look for sure, for sure, but it seemed to me they were, all may have been boars. I, know I didn't that, even I know look. that three of them were. A couple of my
3: for sure I'm not saw sure it.
0: about the first one that we let out, the little gray one that I really liked. I want to see that one in about yeah, yeah.
3: two years. I've been uh, seeing him on a trail cam a lot. Oh, yeah. oh, yeah, exactly. Was that a boar? He, oh, yes, he definitely. Is definitely. Yep. He is
0: absolutely a, a from my perspective, a, you know, a gorgeous looking hog, but I think those other two were boars, too, and I... I got a feeling you had a pile of corn inside that trap, and I got mm-hmm. a feeling they kind of fit up to it. And all of a sudden, saw it, and is it like a fork, mad dash, mad dash with all four of them running
4: in there at the same yep. time, trying to keep the other one from eating it, kind of thing. That's so. true. And, and I tell you, we were, I think, lucky because usually for a, a trigger, you can, you know, you wire. It's just a trap, a guillotine door with a trap wire on it's it. all it amounts to. But the little trap is not uh, six foot long, maybe and. If that, five, six foot long and, yeah, and wide, wide enough for... Three
3: feet wide or so? No, oh, I don't think it's that wide. Not, I think it may be
4: 24 inches uh, wide. It it, be, it,
0: you know, the it's inside... It's not a I, big... Crop. Well, it could have been 30 inches. But,
4: but uh, I was using like a 10-penny nail for the trigger of it. You know, that's... Uh, yeah. Usually I'll use a 60-penny nail, a big, long as a pencil, you know. But right. I didn't have one. It's kind of a impromptu hog trapping thing we got into. So Jeff had, a, a, I guess, a 10-penny nail, and I thought, wow... It was, I'm telling you, it just barely, it fit in there so loosely. And I thought, a hog, if he breathes on this thing. Hair trigger. It right? was and, truly and a, and a hair trigger. And that shocked me to have four of them. Because all they would have had to have done is touch that door. I mean, yeah. going in, that, that guillotine
0: would have fell. Well, they were just the right height to where there was a little clearance from mm-hmm. where door. the door was set. Yeah. And I really think that all they'd been feeding <laughs> up there and all of a sudden saw that pile of corn. And all Boom. four of them just went... Bam! Probably almost hit the backside of that trap, you know, as they ran into it, and then that helped trip the wire. But regardless, I mean, and, and they were in good body condition too. That's one were, thing I looked yeah. at. I mean, they were
4: corn-fed.
0: They were corn-fed, but you know, we've been very blessed with all the rains and things that we've had here. And there's a fair amount of other vegetation out here right now that they're eating. And and uh, we've you've had some floods and things like that coming up and down, and and so there's no telling what was washed in here. And then they've got this. It, from a from a wild hog perspective, this is probably as close to heaven as what they can get because they've got all the food that they need. They got plenty of cover, and there is water all over this place. Mm-hmm. Not all over it, but it, almost like you strategically planned where you want your water to be here. <laughs>
3: <laughs> well, the, the thing was, of course, hogs. They love the golden nugget. You know, uh, they hit the feeders very, very hard and. When we put that corn in last night, that's exactly what I did. I put that corn to the back of that trap, a yes, big old sir. pile. So when they did, did go in, you're absolutely right. They went in, you know, gangbusters and <laughs> t- t- toward the back of that trap. And then I bet the last one that came in hit hit the little hair trigger and, and down yeah, it went. Yeah. But uh, man, that was quite amazing. That
4: may have been. I, I think it was probably the only time that I've not trapped a hog and got the skin and knife out and you butchered know. him. But Folks, if you you just more or less had to have been here with us through this whole because we wrestled with those those hogs for a while <laughs> trying to get that get that wedge. You know, a hog's head is shaped like a wedge anyway. It is. It is. Yeah. You know. It well, is.
3: and the the two had their heads together in the same bars, if you will, yeah. one on top of the other, which made it even more difficult to try to get them out. And you know, I just it just dawned on me you know folks listening here can can actually watch this because it's going to be on a sportsman's life we're gonna oh, yeah. we're gonna put that out on as, as a show so you'll be able to see this video and uh come to your own conclusions but yeah, yeah got, it was it was yeah, crazy. They, the,
4: the, very soon well uh of course it's on you know pride outdoor network mm-hmm. but youtube it, you know youtube is a great place to archive things like that it, it, it is. is and that's
0: the beauty of it, it forever what this will probably air i would say probably three weeks after we actually did it because some things i've got coming up yep. right quick already but uh you know by that time it'll be probably on the on the sportsman's life but they can also go as you mentioned to youtube and they can see a lot of the other <laughs> things there that we've been up to and yeah and even before i joined you guys what y'all were doing you know at, here on jeff's place and a few other places a little bit of deer hunting a little bit of turkey hunting a little always bit of a, hunting, always a fun adventure fishing, no lots of fishing you know absolutely and, and that's Y'all named the show very aptly as far as I'm concerned with the sportsman's life because the things that we do are not just hunting. They're not just fishing. But they're like what you're doing with your place here, and Luke, you've done with other places, and I'm doing. There's a lot of wildlife conservation involved as well, too. And, you know, we are least we got a young man sitting between us, but Luke's a little bit younger than I am. And, we're a on the gray bearded side, but I'll tell you what, over the years, we've all spent a lot of time in the outdoors doing all kinds of different things. And there's a fair amount of knowledge if we can just parlay it to the people out there in a way that they can understand it, you know, with our way that we talk kind of thing. But, uh, you know, there's a lot of things there that you can go back. Same thing with the, with the, the campfire the podcast. You can go to Waypoint TV, uh, sorry, waypointtv.com, D S C S or, yeah, waypointtv.com slash dscs dash campfires. And, I mean, there's now over 100 shows logged there as well, too. A lot of different places. Starting with these guys right here, which I really appreciate.
3: Well, these outdoor adventures, I mean, it, it, it isn't all about, you know, killing an animal or, you know, bringing in that big fish. You know, it's the cooking. It's the camaraderie. It's, you know, just Heck, riding around on the buggy you know whatever it's just the, the the adventures we get into and the things we do and you know if we can share that with some of the younger generation and, and they can kind of learn from from our experiences and what we do i mean, I mean that's what or, it's all or about
0: even, or even some of the older guys you know recently the the covid thing one of the things that we've talked about in the past didn't have talked about it with other people it made people realize that food doesn't come from the grocery store right that may be where they go buy it but it's got to be produced somewhere and they realize that hey sometimes there's interruptions to that chain and you might get hungry so we've seen a tremendous increase in sale of hunting license particularly and fishing license as well too of people all of a sudden becoming very aware you know i can actually go out and get my own food and i know where it's coming from and i know it hadn't been stuffed full of chemicals and you know and enzymes and all those other kind of things. and I think there's a lot of folks out there that are you know, that are looking at these kind of things, what we're doing here, or with The Sportsman's Life, and some of the other things that we do with, with writing, such as Luke with the radio and, and, and newspaper columns, that are really interested in knowing how they can procure their own food and how to prepare their own food. And that's really opened a door to a lot more people these days.
3: You know, and it's a lot of fun. I mean, I I enjoy taking my own wild game and, you know, getting out my grinder and grinding up some meat and, you know, making making bratwurst or making sausage or what have you. I mean, it's just a lot of fun. To Something do that about it. Kind of
4: and I do, to me, that's, you know, I, I remember right here, oh, I don't know, it's one or two years over a year ago uh shot a hog and you you were going bass fishing jeff
3: i remember and
4: yep. i uh, was down here at the place we called the the hog blind and shot a uh, actually walked in i lucked out walked in there was a, a i think it was about a hundred pound bull or something like that there chowing down on corn and i shot him right there with that air rifle you were you had just left and so here it was like 20 minutes after daylight and i've got a nice hog on the ground so <laughs> And and I'm by myself, you know, what am I going to do? Okay, well, one thing I'm going to do is turn him into port. So I got him up here and, you know, quartered him up and took the backstrap and everything. I said, now, wait a minute. It's going to be hours before Jeff gets back from fishing. So I looked at that big old smoker over there and had some hickory wood lined up, laid up there by it. And I said, you know what? I'm going to serve these folks a big barbecue when they get back. And i swear, of course, we have running water. I mean, it's... Uh, a situation where I could clean the, the pork up in almost like a butcher shop, really. Did a good job butchering the hog, I did. Boned the meat out, fired that thing
3: up. <laughs> Put it, you should have seen the look on my face when I drove in and my smoker's C-smoker. rolling. And Luke raises the lid of the smoker and there's a big old hog in there, and I'm like, you've got to be kidding me.
4: What did I miss? But that's that's what you were alluding to as far as just fun in the outdoors. It's oh, yeah. that kind of stuff. And, you know, you don't forget it. I mean, it's just fun yeah. stuff and it's not so, half the things that actually transpire when you're out in the woods out hunting is not are not planned are they no nope.
3: no nope. they're not
0: you no 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 no, half, no, like, no no i mean it's it, it, i get tickled all the time because i learned from luke a long time ago with doing radio with luke that none of these things that we're doing right now are scripted a lot of times i have no idea where we're going to head you, you know the conversation starts and and you go, oh my God! There's there's a good point. Let's 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 pursue that one a little bit, kind of thing. And and being in the outdoors is the same way. I mean, you may have a plan of what you're going to do, but I guarantee you, most of the times, I don't know what the guarantee is, but most of the times, Mother Nature is going to throw you a slight curve, and you have <laughs> to learn how to adapt to those situations and how to make the most of them. And and it's it's like uh, the hog liver. <laughs> what, a, what a great bait for, for catfish. That worked And, out, and well, other yeah. things, as oh, we yeah. found out oh, this yeah. morning. Yeah. That, yeah, that's one. That,
3: that yeah. reminds me of, of a kind of a, a situation where we had nothing planned, and Luke and I were out here, oh, this goes back maybe a couple years ago, and I think we were deer hunting or something, I don't know, but it, it was squirrel season, and we were seeing squirrels everywhere, big squirrels. Big old boar squirrels, fox squirrels, just they were everywhere. And Luke and I looked at each other and go, change of plans. We're going squirrel hunting. And the funny thing was we didn't really have a weapon. And I'm, I'm going, well, wait a minute, I do have a weapon. In you know, in the camp, I've got I've got a little 22 pistol. <laughs> revolver. Yeah, <laughs> a revolver, yeah, a little yeah. revolver. And it looks like we're on it. And we just headed into the woods. We filmed that. Actually, it's actually a show out there, but was that not just off the cuff? Pretty impromptu, Very wasn't impromptu. It? Yeah. We had no idea we were going to do that, and it turned out to be just one heck of a fun. It was adventure. fun.
4: A lot of people watched it too. I, I noticed. Oh, yeah. It. yeah, I can still see you now with that with that little. It probably had about a seven inch barrel, maybe. Yeah. That little .22 revolver. After one of those squirrels jumped out of that pin oak and hit the ground running, and uh, Jeff was right behind him, folks. And, uh, <laughs> Finally got him. Finally got him slowed down, you know. It looked like a it looked like an old West movie or something. We should have
3: had someone filming Luke filming me because here I am running through the woods. Luke's running after (laughs) me with the camera. Stabilized. Oh, it was hilarious. (laughs) It was wild. Yeah, I had an old
4: buddy one time, he says anything can and often does happen in the great outdoors and by golly, you know (laughs) he's He was right, wasn't he? And you really kind of need to expect that. I mean, yeah.
0: again, like I said, don't have your plan so set in stone that you can't adapt. Yep. Uh, I mean, it's just like within the hunting situation. I mean, there are times when they're talking about, you, you're talking about going on a squirrel hunt on a deer hunt. I mean, you may think that you're going to have to hunt deer a certain way or, or elk or whatever it is, and all of a sudden the weather changes or the animal changes how they're doing things. If you just have got that one or two techniques, you're you're probably not going to do very well. Not I mean, as you've well as you could. got to learn how to adapt. And you, look, you it up there in Colorado for a while for elk, particularly for archery. And I mean, y'all did for elk, and
4: then I know too. After a while, you started guiding for black bear as well too. Elk and bear, yeah. There, there's lots of bear up there, and I, you know. I had a, a good friend, Larry Lard, that is. You look up elk guide in the dictionary. His picture should be there. Yeah. He was <laughs> raised up in, in the Pacific Northwest and in Idaho, and uh, he's forgot more about elk hunting than most people would ever know. And I used to go up as a rider to the Taos Pueblo Indian Reservation up in uh, Angel Fire, and, and Larry worked for an outfitter. He was their head guide. They had five or six guides, and they had that whole reservation oh my leased. Uh, There's Wall- loady Peak of elk. up there yeah. in the, the high point. Anyway, so they would invite me up to write articles, you know, the outfitter uh, did, and I'd go up and and, uh, and bow hunt cow elk. And I had never, but uh, honestly, I'd kill one one elk on a, a big ranch, a high fenced ranch in younger days. Yeah, good meat. That's why. I, anyway, but that was my first time to really learn, and I learned a little bit. So we started. Larry had an opportunity to, to lease a big ranch north of of uh, Steamboat Springs, northern Colorado, right way north Colorado. And he called me up. He said, "Luke, let you and I start outfitting elk and, and, and bear hunts to some extent." I said, "Larry, you know I can see you doing this, but I'm I'm no elk guy, buddy. I've, I've never done that." He says, "Yeah, but you can do it." Uh, and I, to be quite frank, I was a little bit unsure <laughs> of myself. I was. And I thought, well, I can hunt on my own till the cows come home. But to be in charge or somebody, that's different. And of course, Larry, he had outfitted and guided all of it. He was the guide, you know. Mm-hmm. But anyway, I said he convinced me, and I said, okay, I'll make it work. <laughs> so <laughs> it was, it was, uh, it was an experience. And and it, and as he predicted, it wasn't. I won't say the elk guiding and all that is it, it's not hard. It, it can be work, but. It worked out real good. Well, I did it about six years, and then I, I one day I said, wait a minute, do I want to be a 70-year-old elk guy? <laughs> 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 you know? And uh, so I got out, I think, at the right time, you know, and now the guys still lease that ranch. It's not an outfitting thing, but uh, one of my buddies, Mark Beleth, who both of know, you know, right, know Mark, right. he, he kind of gets it together, and they uh, four or five of them go up there and, and lease it for a couple weeks and, and just hunt, you know?
0: Look, elk season is not that far away when you get right down, particularly on archery. And, and if, if somebody was going to go on their first elk hunt, or maybe they're going on their 20th elk hunt, and I ask you, what's the best advice you could give to somebody going on an elk hunt, say in Colorado and Wyoming, any, any of the mountain states? What would be the one thing, a bit of advice that you would give them?
4: Yeah, my, my, uh, information is somewhat limited to Colorado where there's not a great big, like you turn the TV on and the, you blow the, the cow call or the, or the bugle and the big 350 inch bull runs up. Don't expect that. That's what I would tell the guys. You know, and many of the hunters that came up there, you know, they were wired up. They've been watching the TV and the giant bulls and, and yeah, that happens. But I, and we would tell them beforehand, this is not an area, uh, where you can come to expect to kill a monster bull. There are some good bulls up there in northern Colorado. You know, Larry. But I would tell them right off the bat, and sometimes they would look at me a little odd, you know, like the, around the campfire, you're talking to them the evening before, then you're going to take a couple of them out. We usually take two two out. Right. I'd say, guys, look, you know, have you ever hunted elk? And, uh, you know, most, many, most of them had not, you know. Like I was, right. I remember when I was like that, and and I said, well, let me tell you something. There's a lot easier things to do than to kill an elk with a bow, and that you're going to find that to be true, because they need to be in. Everything has to mesh. You have to steady down, and you have a bull screaming out there, and you're drawing a bow. I mean, it's it's you can get excited. Cow elk were legal and bulls were legal, and I'd tell them this around the campfire if. I would advise you, sir, if you uh, if there is a standing cow, a grown cow elk within 30 yards the first morning, if it, I were you, I would take my first elk with a boat. And they kind of, some of them look at me a little bit, and then some of them, hell, I'm after a bull. Okay, well, we're going to try to get
3: you one, and you might get one. <laughs> well, you know, I think, like you mentioned a minute ago, you know, these guys, a lot of guys watch TV. I mean, obviously they do, and they, and they see these shows, and they see you know it's always the big one and, and whatever and it's it's on film and it, you know they have it set in their mind I'm gonna do that I'm gonna up that or I'm gonna do that and, and they and they it's not gonna happen it's just not it, gonna it, happen it's, you know said it won't it-
0: well s- several of those shows like that they're done on a uh, very limited entry where a lot of those guys have to apply for five six there's are some areas now that you better have been applying for 10 or 12 years if you expect to draw a permit, and that means you hadn't been hunting elk on the, in that state for the most part, you know, and, and then there's some that are private land, and uh, there are some big bulls on private land, there's some big bulls on public land but there's not many <laughs> there really <laughs> are Are a few
3: between there you
0: know? there are and there's a lot of those places you were hunting up there close to the route national Park. Yeah, yes and yeah. i've hunted over on the just west of where you hunted and mm-hmm. i've killed a couple of bulls up there in years past looked at a lot of different elk and the best elk i've ever shot up there was a five by five and i've only seen two or three what i would consider really good six by sixes but again the the size of the experience has nothing to do with the size of the antlers and that area up there produces a lot of elk there there's lots of legal bulls up there oh, and there's brilliant. a lot of hunting pressure so those few bulls that get by and get in those older age classes they're few and far in between but they're also super super wary i mean are you going to be able to take one there is that remote possibility but i'll tell you what Particularly if you've never hunted elk before, they're a, a nice five by five. That's a three-year-old five by five, or a six by five, or you know, just a legal bull. That's quite an elk, big
4: old critter. Mm-hmm. It they're is very impressive. And and you know where they. What I learned about elk, and it, I learned it pretty quickly. Where deer, if you out, out where we're at now, if you jump a buck in the fall. Well, he's gonna, he might run, honestly, in his thick cover, he might run three or 400 yards, and he stopped, you know. He's going to sniff around and see what's going on. Elk are not like that. You spook elk, and sometimes they run into the next zip code, I think. <laughs> yeah. one, one case in point, I, I, I was hunting with this guy up on top of a mountain, and there's a hall, uh, uh, timber road, you know, that, right. that went over the top of that mountain. Well, I was calling and he was kind of down in an an area. I couldn't see him. He was actually in a tree stand down there at a trail, you know, so I was up on the top and and there was some answering of bulls. The rut was going on. Well, I got a text from my nephew who was at the time our camp cook. He was about two miles down in the valley down there and he could see the whole mountain. He was there tidying up camp or whatever. So it says, uh, I just counted 80 elk coming your way, and, and, and I thought, 80 elk? Then he says, I, I forget the exact number, 103 or something elk, almost in single file, not at timberline, but you know down a ways, right. through the, he'd see them coming through the timberline, he counted them, and he says, get ready, and then you know I, I thought, wow, what's gonna happen? The guy was down here, and all those elk, he saw many of them, he couldn't see them all, they come right through where he was at down there, he would never loosed an arrow because they never stopped you know he never had a shot right. but when i got up to him uh, this is one of those things that will stick in your brain forever i asked him what did that sound sound like i heard him you know i was probably within i don't know 100 yards or so he said it sounded just like running water i said it did how is that how did that happen all i can figure all that old down black timber and stuff you know those elks, they got a hoof about, you know, big old hooves on them. I'm wondering, Larry, you know, I, I don't know the answer. I'm thinking I could hear those hooves of a of hundred elk. They weren't running. They were just kind of probably yeah. the weirdest sound I have ever heard in my I'll life. Yeah, interesting.
0: I've, I've been right in the middle of the elk, in that part of the country. I started hunting elk a pair of years ago. I hunted, what well, was then the old Jolly Ranch, and uh, it sent uh, I can't remember the guy's name, but uh, he, he owns a bunch of baseball teams and all that kind of stuff. He bought all that country and turned it into the three-forks ranch. And then years later, I had an opportunity when I was, uh, I was on actually on staff for a little while with uh, Peterson Hunting, And I was up there with uh, a mutual friend of ours, Jim Buquette and Wayne Van Zwolle and a couple of other guys, and uh, I ended up shooting another 5x5 within probably about 200 yards of where I shot my first elk about 20 years hence kind of thing. But that country up there, again, I've seen that area, I remember sitting on a hillside one afternoon and counting over 300 elk in one yeah. area. Yeah. And the biggest bull in that g- entire group was a small six by six. And you had to really tell to sh- be sure you had had uh, a, that six point up there. There was another bull that somebody had caught and castrated many, many years ago. I'm sure some of the cowboys there on the Jolly did it. and uh, he, he was a velvet horn and he had he had just two long spikes but they were probably about 16, 17, 18 inches in circumference at the base on both sides and just came out. Wow! And I wanted to shoot that bull so badly but unfortunately that was one of those areas where he had to have like four or five points on one side so I got to watch, that was the only bull that ever really got close to other than the one that I ended up shooting wow. kind of thing. <laughs> but uh, that country up there is still some of the best in terms of numbers of elk there is
4: to be there found. Is, anywhere there's in lots the world. of elk. Yeah. Well, Larry, I've got a, a question for you uh, on elk. I, I, my elk hunting is New Mexico and Colorado, but you've hunted elk a lot of the mountain states. Here's a question for you. Why in the world do, do elk wait until about 30 minutes before the before dark to show? <laughs> 90% of the elk we kill was in the last 30 minutes of daylight. And then why do they always know how to go straight up into that black timber and get hit quick? It seems like every elk, why, you know, whitetail deer, you shoot one. Of course, we were bow hunting, and you can expect that elk to run a ways, But not, you know, they seem like an uncanny ability, and then... People have not really fully experienced elk hunting until it's dark. Well, we got the blood here, boys. You know, it's, <laughs> it's going up. It looks like it's going. We had a place called Oregon. There's a lot of ferns up there, and those elk, they knew where Oregon was. Well, they a lot of them would get up. Areas. Those ferns were about waist high, and we'd track them up into the into Oregon. And then, then you got to get down to all those crisscross of logs. Elk hunting can be a lot of work. That's, it is... Uh,
0: Physically challenging, mentally challenging and to answer your question kind of thing, elk and they started out on the plains. Yeah. And it was with pressure and loss of habitat and maybe the buffalo eating up everything kind of thing that kind of started pushing them into the mountains. And I think from what you're what you're asking about is that was just a natural adaptation of those elk having dealt with predators going back to the days of the wolves and and when there were a lot of, you know, well now we've got probably as many bear now maybe not as many grizzlies but almost you know so i think it had a lot to do with predation kind of thing and then i think with the with the wounding of an elk and skimmy <coughs> elk have a huge kill zone with big yep. big lungs and all those kind of things but they're very tenacious of life, among other things, and I think when they get injured, they have a tendency to go to those kind of. They places. know where those places are. They know are. where those places are. But like I said, going back to the other thing, interestingly, those animals were they originated on the plains, yeah, and and learned that they had to move into the mountains to survive, you know. And thank goodness they have in that respect, but they've learned how to how to read those thermals coming up with the with the thermals going up and down based on whether it's open, you know, the first thing in the morning or late in the afternoon. And I think they've learned how to play to those. Interestingly, so many animals, particularly prey animals, such as deer and elk and antelope in some areas, particularly deer and elk species, pay so much attention to what they smell. You know, they may see something and they go, oh, there may be danger there. They may hear something and go, oh, there may be danger there. but generally, unless it's real close when they see that, they'll have a tendency to turn down, get downwind to where they can smell what caused that disturbance kind of thing. And I think that's part of the reason you get this up and down movement and, and then, too, you know, they're fairly migratory at times. Those oh, elk yeah. will travel long distances and basically, years ago, they had nothing to do more with food. I mean, there was no food here, so they had to go somewhere else to go get the food kind of thing.
4: The, mm-hmm. the ranch owner said the, this herd, which there's, you know, how many elk, the route Oh, yeah, they're the huge. Then, then the, then this was a private ranch, so the, a lot of elk stayed there. But he said, I think there was a valley. I've, I've never actually been to that valley. I think 60 or 80 miles from there yeah. where they migrate because there is tremendous snowfall up there. Oh, yeah. Of course, we were out of there before the snow fell. Yeah. But so we got sometimes even in September we'd get a little snow sleet. But uh, those, those elk, they have to move out of there with eight foot of snow on the ground sometimes. You know.
3: I find it interesting where they have, the, in their migration, they have places where they cross, you know, highways and whatnot, and they've, they've created a, a migratory path yeah, for, for elk. And, and uh, you know, talk a little bit about that, Larry. Well, well, a lot of
0: that, again, comes back down to almost tradition type thing. I mean, an innate thing, you know, this is the same path that they cross. And you, mule deer the same way. They're, mule deer that we have in, in Texas, they're not very migratory, other than they may be on top of the hills for a while, and then they're down in the valleys and, you know, go back and forth. But, again, it has to do with food, with mule deer and elk both. And there were these traditional ways that these elk and, and, and mule deer came off the mountains to get into some of this lower country, and then they go back up. And through the efforts of, like, Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, and particularly with the, the mule deer foundation, uh, which I'm really a strong believer in because mule deer really needs some help. But uh, they were able to go in and on some of these highways create overpasses and underpasses. Mm-hmm. And what they'll do in those situations is it, they went through a basic area. Now they may not follow that exact same trail all the time. So what they've done is created these underpasses or overpasses that are wide enough, big enough for the elk to cross under or over. And then they'll go along the side of the road and put up a high fence for so many, so it kind of funnels those animals through that area. So now it allows them to go back and forth into their wintering areas or their summering areas without the disturbance of getting run over on the highway. And, and that's helped a whole lot in preventing accidents as far I as mean, people actually get injured and killed and all that other kind of thing by running into to elk. And more and more through the efforts of the Elk Foundation, and particularly the Mule Deer Foundation, we're starting to see these things do more and more of these kind of things. But, yeah, they, they had traditional... Paths that they follow, and I used to work a ranch up in northwestern Colorado, the very northwest corner. Dinosaur National Monument sits right up there in that far northwest area, and, and there was a, the Yampa and the Little Snake, and up there, uh, and uh, that area for whatever reason, those when the the snows got heavy and in uh, up in Wyoming, about oh maybe 100 150 miles above us, those mule deer would come through there in mass. I mean, I've seen as many as three hundred mule deer in, in in a basic group come walking through there and and then when i first started messing with that area there were very few elk now that area has more elk than it does mule deer yeah but uh and the mule the elk started coming down in those same areas
4: too because there was winter food for them lots of, and you know uh up there where we hunted bear i mean the guys would uh they were there for an elk hunt but you could go to the, the game department there in Steamboat. It's a really nice place, A little like a, almost like a museum there. too. Oh, yeah. But you could go, uh, and I haven't been up there in, I guess, this would be my, this, this fall will be four years that I have not been up there, I think. But you could go up after they kill their elk, or if they start seeing bear, which were very common, they could go up for a couple hundred dollars and buy a bear tag. Yeah and uh the numbers of bear are you know way easier to hunt than elk up there where we were they're just i mean you get on a water hole say three in mid afternoon and, and get hit real good with a bow even definitely with a rifle but you know it was bow season when we were there uh, yeah, chances of getting a good a bear is very very good yeah know? those
0: those bear up that, that bear population is greatly increased in the black bear Yeah. Know? i mean of course they're brown colored bear up there and yep. i've seen them almost well, blonde and almost yeah. white up there, and every kind of color scheme in between. But that area's got a lot of bear, and those bear have a tendency to water every afternoon. These do. They, mm-hmm. to me, the you know you can't bait in Colorado uh, with anything that's not native. I mean, it's right. not there. You're not even supposed, you know, like you're not even supposed to really hunt over a, a carcass or anything like that. That may they be there naturally, just naturally died, but. You can hunt on those water holes, and I'll tell you what, I've seen as many as eight or ten bears come into the same water hole in one evening, and, uh, and you can, I mean, we used to run them with dogs up there in uh, New Mexico, and we'd go by those water holes, and we'd take a sharp stick, and every track that you'd see, you'd poke a hole in the middle of that track, and the purpose was so that you could see then when a new track came in, kind mm-hmm. of thing. But there you could get an idea in terms of, of what size bear it was, you know, looking at the track because. We, we talk in bears normally in terms of body weight or, or square of a hide, and the square of the hide is nothing more than when the bear is taken, tip of the nose, tip of the tail, added to the, the spread out of the, the uh, front legs so that you measure claw to claw. Add those two together and divide by two, and that gives you the square of a bear. And interestingly is with the track of most black bear, if, that, if you measure that front foot across the pad, if it's a four and a half inch pad, that bear's gonna square about five and a half. If it's a six foot track, a six foot, I mean a six inch track, that bear's gonna probably be close to that seven or even exceed a seven foot square bear, which is a really big bear. Really anything over about, uh, approaching
4: that six foot square is a, is a big bear. Big yeah. Hmm. There's a, funny things can happen on a bear hunt, I'll tell you that. Oh, yeah, they you know, can. Robert Blackstock, who you remember, Robert. Oh, absolutely. Uh, great guy. Uh, Ken Blackstock, he's the one that builds the. The buggies, you mm-hmm. know, the electric buggies mm-hmm. that we used up there. So, I dropped him off at a at a double bull blind on a water hole. Uh, it's called what was we forget forget the name of that place. It was just a little bowl down there, right. with water in the bottom, and so it's a lot of bears have been frequenting that. And Robert had never hunted bear. I'm not sure he'd ever seen them. Probably seen one, but never mm-hmm. hunted them. Good bow hunter though, Robert is. So he's we've got him in this pop up double bull blind well he killed one he killed a a good sized bear there that before the the week was over but he had a sow come up and he says to hear him tell it i can't tell it like he did he said i was sitting there watching you know watching the water and cross looking for a bear he said i felt something you know just sensed something i looked back and he said "A, a bear cub with a little head was sticking right there next to me you know, had walked up from behind. Not
2: good. And he said, <laughs>
4: he said. Then I, I said, I knew enough about bear to know that Mama don't like does not like people to be messing with their babies. You know. And he said. Then I looked out, and here's another little one. Run up a little aspen tree, run back down, young bear, you know, cubs.
2: <laughs> and he
4: said, and then I said, I just want. To. When did did she show up? And he said, yes. He said, I heard this huffing type sound. Yeah. Real scary sound back in the brush. And then here come these. He, he said, this looked like a grizzly bear. It was the mother. They, It got up on on its hind end, you know, standing yeah. up. And it, Luckily, nothing happened. He, he, he said, well, I said, what you do then, Robert? I said, I, he said, I just froze. I was, I froze. And I said, did the little bears leave? And he said, yeah, finally. She huffed, made a sound, and both of them just scampered to her. <laughs> but he, he wound up getting a boar there, a boar bear, a, a nice one. He had a full body mount. Absolutely. And we recovered there again. Shot it about one thirty seconds before, at the end of legal shooting light, and that bear got off down in a canyon. We got we got out of there about midnight with that bear. <laughs> <laughs> we had the we had. Robert's a big old boy, you know, and and uh, I weigh a couple hundred pounds, and L- Larry didn't weigh much. He was 100, <laughs> 135 pounds I will say if you weigh that, and yeah. it who is Robert's uh, brother, weighs uh, a substantial amount. We, Larry, large, came through the woods. He said, I said, how are we gonna get this bear out of here, boys? We tried to tie the rope, me and Robert tried, that didn't work, tried to pull him up this slope. Mm -hmm. So, (laughs) Larry says, it was a moonlit night. Larry says, he said, I can find a way back. I know a trail back down in here where I can drive that buggy right up close to this bear. I said, are you sure, Larry? Uh, it's, it's getting late, you know. <laughs> Give me about 45 minutes. So he hoofs it back to, what did he do? It, it, the, the, the electricity, the batteries were low on that buggy. He had We had a fresh buggy. He had, right. he had a fresh buggy. He goes back to camp, gets in there, and sure enough, about an hour later, I see a light coming through the aspens. Here's old Larry. He pulls up in there. These guys that I just described, I, we can add the weight up. Robert... 250, uh, Ken 250, me too. And the bear. We put the bear on top of this electric buggy, just like your buggy, Jeff. No mind. Same buggy type. And uh, come back into camp with that thing. So you had essentially at least a thousand pounds on that buggy. And the bear maybe weighed a hundred and well, that's time. what I was saying. He oh yeah, went with, the, with bear. the bear and Larry, and he and we had him stretched out with his head up on, on yeah. top of that thing. <laughs> <laughs> Those boys—they they were all—they nobody went to sleep. They were awake wanting to see the bear. You know? All
0: waiting to hear the story. Interesting. Yeah, it was fun, exciting, uh, exciting yeah, stuff. Well, yeah, unfortunately, I think it's probably time. I know, uh, Jeff, you've got a phone call. You got to go make, and and uh, Luke and I got to. Finish up breakfast here in just a little bit, so we've got stuff for you to eat. Now we've you had some cobbler that I can't wait to get in there and get and have mm-hmm. another cup of coffee. So, y'all join us right back here next time on uh, DSC's campfires and uh, don't tell them what kind of tale we'll tell. And remember, if you've got an idea that you'd like for us to talk about or something you don't want us to talk about, you can always get in touch with me through uh, uh, Instagram at Larry Wasson Outdoors or also on Facebook at Larry Weissoon Outdoors, and look forward to seeing everybody around the campfire again next week. Thanks for joining us around the campfire. To leave a comment or suggestion for an upcoming episode, go to Instagram at Larry Weissoon Outdoors. Please join me right here next week for another DSC's
2: Campfires. DSC Campfires with Larry Weissoon has also been brought to you by the Texas Wildlife Association. Working for Tomorrow's Wildlife Today, TRHP Outdoors can attract boots for the trails less traveled. Voit, the finest in hunting gear. Pyramid Air for all things air gun. And Ripcord, rescue travel protection.